from my kitchen table somewhere in the Delaware Valley. This is the podcast we like to call The Pod Couple. I'm Phil John Picaro, columnist for The Intelligencer. I'm J.D. Mullane, columnist for the Bucks County Courier Times. And as always, both our columns also appear in the Burlington County Times. True. Headline, ensuring continuous local representation on a national level during a crisis. It's not a topic most of us think about until it becomes an issue. For example, if Bucks County Congresswoman Madeline Dean or Bucks County Rep Ryan Fitzpatrick or Burlington County Rep Andy Kim were to vacate their seat for any reason, the the U.S. Constitution does not allow for an immediate successor. It calls for a special election in the congressional district of the former rep. The process is long. Petitions must be filed to run. Voters pick candidates in a primary election, and then another election determines who goes to Washington. It could take months during which the district in question is unrepresented. In the case of a vacancy in the Senate, however, an immediate successor is named, providing continuous representation. Our guest today, Bill Pezza, believes the same should apply to the House of Representatives. Bill, welcome. Thank you. Good morning and welcome. First, a little bit about Bill. Uh, He has extensive experience in state and local government, including Bristol Borough, where he grew up after relocating from his native New York. He taught American history and government in the Lower Moreland School District for 38 years, currently teaches American history and government at Bucks County Community College's Newtown and Bristol campuses. Welcome author, teacher, historian, Constitution Amendment advocate, Bill Pezza to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's a mouthful. It is. Bill, the founding fathers did a lot of things right when they drafted the Constitution. Now, given your position on the congressional vacancy and as a teacher, you'd grade them what? I grade them. I'll give them an A for their overall effort. But when it comes to uh, uh, what they did with congressional vacancies, I think they left us uh, a little bit short. And, and in fairness to them, the, the times were change, uh, are, are different, obviously, that I guess the potential for uh, a widespread vacancy at, at any one point in Congress was less than. But I think in light of of uh, two things, uh, I wrote about this this issue uh, after 9-11 uh, when the uh, the plane crashed in uh, in Shanksville, Flight 93, which was on its way possibly, well, uh, at least to the United States Capitol or the White House. And, uh, and, and I wrote about what would happen if we had a dramatic loss of life in the Congress all at one time. Um, and uh, that kind of fell on deaf ears. So we... Uh, now, and then after January 6th, uh, although the assault on the Capitol, uh, fortunately, uh, the people were not armed in such a way that perhaps there would have been a uh, widespread loss of life, but we don't know uh, were it not for the for the brave and, and, and cunning efforts of a couple of those police officers. So uh, I decided to write about it again. And basically, so the point is, what would happen if we had a dramatic loss of life all at once in the United States Congress. In the Senate, as you indicated, uh, senators are appointed by the governor. It could theoretically happen overnight. If you wanna take a look at just the uh, the recent uh, transition from Kamala Harris in, in California to uh, Alex Padilla, uh, Governor Newsom announced the uh, replacement and named him and he, he took office. He, he was sworn in uh, the same day, I believe, as Kamala Harris uh, became vice president. So. There was no problem there in transition. And, and and if there was widespread loss in the Senate, theoretically, the same thing could happen across the country. 
In Congress, it's dramatically different. Uh, the Constitution, Article, see, Article One, Section four, uh, Two, Subsection Four, says that uh, when there's a vacancy in, in Congress, uh, the, the governor will call issue a writ of election, and you have an election process. And as you indicated in the in the lead-in, Phil, uh, that process takes months. And then not only does it take months, less less important to this issue is the fact that those elections are extremely expensive and they may be frivolous in that they may be taking place three or four months before a real election would have would have uh, given the voters an opportunity to fill the seat anyway. So, but but the, the biggest issue here is the, the possibility that we could be without 50, 75, however many number of congressmen at any one time until all these special elections are filled in various states. And so the proposal is simple. Uh, give the governor the same authority to fill a congressional vacancy as he or she has to fill a Senate vacancy. You know, Bill, so since why, why hasn't there been a, uh, why has that been, uh, why, why can we, uh, why can a governor, excuse me, uh, appoint uh, a replacement, but not uh, a U.S. congressman? Why is there this, uh, this blind spot in the constitutional process? Do you know? Well, I, I can, I can speculate a little bit, uh, Remember that in the early days of our republic, the Senate was not elected by the people. It was uh, chosen by the state legislature. So state, each state legislature got to pick uh, the two senators from that state. And uh, the original constitution said that's the way it would be if there was a vacancy in the Senate, that there would be a special election by uh, uh, the representatives of, of the legislature. But when we passed the 17th Amendment calling for the direct election of senators, uh, that power shifted to enable uh, governors to make that appointment. So uh, that, and now why that isn't the same with the House? Uh, I think that's the only reason I can point to is that it, originally the House was elected by the people and they wanted to keep those vacancies filled by the people, whereas the Senate was appointed uh, by the legislature. And, and so it was different. Bill, you had mentioned that, you know, we avoided that kind of a crisis at, at you know at 9/11 and uh, and more recently on January 6th at the Capitol, um, but given how we dodged bullets there, so to speak, I guess that's a bad pun. But um, has there been any talk by the powers that be addressing the the, the proposal that you have here? I, I have heard none. I'm hoping with the widespread. Uh, uh, listening and viewing audience that you guys have, this is going to catch fire and it'll sweep the nation. Uh, but seriously, I, I have heard none. Uh, and, um, and you know, and constitutional amendments are, are very hard to pass. Uh, but this, there's no, and maybe you guys can think of one, but I can't think of an ideological uh, advantage to either party, either faction. Uh, this is just a fix. Uh, in, in the article, I write about the fact that we, we've had uh, amendments in the Constitution that had ideology behind them uh, that that, that uh, were designed to in, in increase voting rights or end the poll tax and things like that. Um, but but there were other constitutional amendments that were just fixes of glitches in the Constitution. And, and the one I mentioned was uh, the vice presidency. Uh, don't hold me to all of them, but let me see. Uh, uh, Tyler, uh, uh, John Tyler. Uh, Andrew Johnson, uh, uh, Chester A. Arthur, uh, William McKinley, th those guys, excuse me, not William McKinley, Teddy Roosevelt, 
Those guys did not have vice presidents when they assumed the presidency because we simply in the Constitution did not spell out what to do with a vice presidential vacancy. And when um, when Kennedy was assassinated and Lyndon Johnson took office, uh, it, it kind of, and, and Johnson had no vice president until until the election of 64, we, we were reminded that we ought to fix this. We ought to have a vice president all the time. And so the 25th Amendment, uh, in addition to address, the more important part of the 25th Amendment, I think, is dealing with presidential disability. But it also dealt with vice presidential vacancy. So we fixed it. It was a glitch and we fixed it. And I see this as a glitch that's easily fixed and doesn't have an ideological advantage to it. So I don't see a long national debate being necessary to make this happen. So Bill, my, my question yeah. would be that, you know, you have, for example, here in the uh, first district of Bucks County, a Republican congressman. And for whatever reason, he is no longer congressman. And you have a Democratic, a very partisan Democrat governor, Tom Wolf. Uh, mm-hmm. Why shouldn't should we be concerned that a Democratic governor would appoint some Democrat in the in Congressman Fitzpatrick's place to increase the power of his party? Yes, we should. And and, and I, I addressed that as well. I didn't want to get into too much of a distraction from the, the the overall issue is let's make sure we have 435 congressmen as quickly as we can. But what I suggest uh, is that when a person is running for Congress, this new amendment would require them to indicate who their congressional designate is. Uh, that in the event of uh, I do not fulfill my term, I'm certifying here and I'm sending a letter to the governor prior to the election that I want my replacement to be John Doe. Uh, and the assumption would be that the congressman, and there's a couple of good reasons to do that. One, the congressman is going to appoint someone or nominate someone from the same party and the same ideological bent. And the second uh, value to it is that uh, uh, it doesn't, it, it, the American people in voting would know, not, a, not only am I voting on whether or not I want Brian Fitzpatrick to be my congressman, but I'm also voting with the knowledge that if for some reason he can't finish his term, he has shown some of who he is by designating who he would run his replacement to be. So both candidates running for Congress would have to do that. It would be another factor that voters consider and who they vote for for Congress. So it would be basically a congressman and vice congressman is what you're talking about. It seems cumbersome to me. Well, they would have they would have no no authority, no power, no duty except to uh, be in the wings and the governor would have their the list of all the these designees in 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 the uh, in the Department of State in Harrisburg, and would be required to fill them with those names if there was and a vacancy. It, and it and it would be equal for both parties. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The the yeah, but I think there might be a, a lesson here in that. Say the office of first lady, nobody elects her, but that's a very powerful office. So I'm thinking that maybe these vice congressmen or whatever they would be called. Uh, designees uh, could, in their own way, over a period of, of, of years, decades even, acquire a certain office or power, even if it's not official. And that is concerning. Unelected power is always something you have to be concerned about, especially if the congressman says, well, I'm just delegating, uh, you know, duties in the district to my my designee. It's just as good as talking to me or something like that. I can see it getting out of hand. Well, again, I I don't want the overriding issue of let's make sure we have a full Congress at any one time being clouded by how we specifically 
deal with whether whether the governors of a different party. Uh, but but I, I think I, I don't share the fear you have. If it's just a designation, it's it's a certificate somewhere on file that John Doe becomes. And, 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 you know, if a congressman wants to use that person in the ways you're talking about, which could be the same way he uses a chief of staff. Uh, you know, I worked in a legislative office for a long time in the state on the state level and and went to a lot of uh, events that the state rep couldn't go to. So I understand what you're saying. Um, but, you know, I, I don't see it as a big problem. Bill. Would an easier fix be, Bill, uh, just a change in the House rules uh, regarding quorum? Say some disaster befalls uh, the Congress and, and we're down to 75 members left. Couldn't those surviving members uh, just change the House rules and say, OK, we've got a new quorum now and it's going to be under the under these crisis circumstances? I, I think that's a that's a very easy fix. Uh, and, and on the surface is a good idea, but here's the con concern I have with that. Uh, in, in terms of meeting the concern about a continuation of government, it's a good idea. But let's just for a minute envision, especially now when we have a Congress that is so evenly balanced, and forget that the fact that right now it's Democrat because it could be either way, right? Um, if, if the loss of life disproportionately affected one party over another, not intentionally, it's just the way it went, you know, where the plane hit or whatever. Uh, it's conceivable that now the majority of Congress passes, in this case, contemporary-wise, from a Democratic Congress to a Republican Congress. The speaker could change. The leadership and the committees could change. So at a time of our worst crisis, when we've suffered this terrible loss of life and this national trauma, we might go through the ideological uh, conflict of, of a passing of power from one party to another. I don't think that should happen. That's why, uh, in, in my view, if, if you're allowing the, the congressman who may be creating the vacancy to designate the person filling the seat, that would take that would be taken away. Bill, as yeah, I, I, I think I have more faith in, in people than, than, than that. I think that people under crisis circumstances, all three of us clearly remember 9-11, the country was united. I don't think there would be a time for politics. The country wouldn't stand for it. Um, I, I understand the the issue of, um, you know, it, it takes time to get petitions up and all of that. Seems like JD cut out a bit. Um, you know, Bill, I was going to ask, you know, as the Constitution is currently written relative to a vacancy in in the the House, um, how does the system allow for representation or? They don't. So, so well, they, they don't. My understanding is that uh, the staff stays in place, or at least a staff, some kind of staff stays in place. So if you, as a constituent from the 1st Congressional District of Pennsylvania, uh, needs to process something, you know, a, a, a social security problem that you're having, that, that, uh, that there will be staff people there uh, who you could be referred to the way they would now. So in terms of... And basically, you know, you, you're, you, you would be, uh, I don't want to be trite about this, but it would be taxation without representation. Theoretically, Congress would be voting on things that affect your pocketbook or whatever, your wallet, um, and you would have no representative there to cast a vote in your behalf. You know, Bill, when I read your op-ed in, uh, in our papers, um, you know, I wasn't aware of this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I you know, in a in a 2019 survey, only one in five Americans could name one branch of the federal government. You know, last year, you know, likely result of the political upheaval in the country, people started boning up more and more. Um, you know, an Annenberg survey last year found that 53% of Americans could name all three branches, which is which is a, a progress, but just a bit over half the country could name could only name all three. Um, you're a history teacher. How did we get here? How did we get? Here? That's a good question. You know, I, I we I won't name the state or the senator, but we just had a newly elected senator who couldn't name all three. Uh, just just in the last two months, in the speech he was giving, he couldn't remember the third the third branch. Um, I don't know. We try like heck to teach uh, uh, as much about the Constitution and, and our system of government as possible. Um, and, and unfortunately, I think we have some elected officials who rely upon our our misinformation and our, our lack of knowledge of things. Uh, and they, 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 they assume that uh, a large group of us are listening with just a half an ear as we walk by the TV. We've got kids. We've got work. We've got jobs. We've got things we have to deal with. And we're not as tuned in as, as we should be. Uh, that's a more cynical view, but yeah, it's a, it's a problem. Yeah. You know, uh, we apologize for JD. Oh, and now he's back. And I'm back. Sorry this about is, that. Yeah. This is the world we live in with technology. Sometimes there's a glitch. High tech stuff, Wi-Fi. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, I, I look at a, 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 what's her name? Marsha Fudge, Congresswoman from Ohio, who uh, President Biden named as HUD director. Uh, so right now her seat is vacant and it will remain vacant until uh, the last time I checked, they're either going to fill it with a primary in May or they'll fill it in August. Uh, but, you know, the people of that particular district are unrepresented for a period of months. Uh, and, and J.D., as I, as I was telling Phil I, while you were gone, uh, basically we could be passing spending. We, we are passing spending bills. Um during that time period, we're passing uh, things that impact your wallet, and uh, the people of that particular district are not represented. And I don't know if that's quote constitutional. So, yeah, it's I, a matter. I, it's I a matter would say the the uh, you know what you're talking about is a crisis uh, that's unprecedented. You know, if half the Congress were wiped out, like I said before, I I don't think that. Uh, even the Congress that we have now uh, is divided and polarized as it is, uh, would take advantage of that situation uh, to pass, whether it's Republican or Democratic agenda using that crisis, the country wouldn't stand for it. And, you know, there would be a pause, whatever uh, caused such a loss of life or loss of members of Congress uh, I think the Congress and the government and the country and probably the world would be preoccupied with dealing with that crisis, whatever it would be. And uh, while they were dealing with that crisis, there would be that kind of lead time to, you know, get people back into Congress as quickly as possible. Um, I'm not sure on the state level or on the county level what could be done, but, you know, People, Americans rise to the occasion and quickly reappointing a, uh, a, a United States congressman to represent them uh, would probably be in order. Uh, we would be at most 
weeks, maybe a few months, without a full complement of uh, Congress people in in the in the U.S. Congress. So, I'm not sure it requires a drastic move, Bill, as you've laid out to uh, amend the Constitution. That's serious business. Um, and there are probably some issues. I'd have to talk to a constitutional lawyer, you know, to see what what gamesmanship uh, such a constitutional amendment uh, could bring us. You know, in terms of who gets replaced. You know, we could find a, a Republican Congress suddenly replaced by all Democrats. I don't know. It could be. I'm just well, not not if not if we have this designated person. We would not find a change. Yeah. There would not be an ideological or party change. J.D., I don't share your uh, – I'd like to share your, your faith um, that what we do in crisis. But uh, I watched every minute of January 6th and, and the, uh, the actions of the Congress after the attack on the Capitol were shocking to me. I, I don't think people responded in a way that one would have thought they would given what just transpired. And, and, in uh, what way, Bill? I'm, I'm not sure the actions, because well, no, I think uh, they, all, they all ran. Didn't they? they all ran to the basement or were yeah, escorted yeah. to the basement. Yes, yes. They, 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 they protected themselves. And then when right. the Capitol was secured, they reconvened. And at the time they reconvened, uh, and remember what, what I believe prompted that, that attack was the repeated assertion that the election was illegal and that votes right. should be not counted and so on. Um, right. After they reconvened, and one would have thought, okay, that that's over. Let's let's cast these votes on January 6th like we're supposed to and go home. Um, there were still senators who insisted on challenging the votes of the states and, and forcing a two-hour debate and a long discussion uh, and, and before they voted, it, it, for which they already knew the outcome. I don't think that was their finest hour at all. And that and, and that was probably one of the most traumatic events in congressional history. And they didn't respond very well. So I, I don't. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. And, and uh, you know, just as a, a side note, um, you know, I've always I wondered why not one United States congressman or senator uh, in house that day confronted any of these people. They all ran. They all ran away. You know, uh, fearing for well, their lives. They, they and, weren't. Uh, they they were, uh, not, not one. They were. Phil, the day of 9 11, when we still didn't know if there were going to be another wave of attacks, they all stood on the Capitol steps and sang, God bless America. You know, but this time around, they all ran away. So it's easy to, uh, say, it's, it's easy to say that when you know that the lawmakers were not armed and the insurrectionists were. What are you supposed to do, right? Yeah, you have I, no I guess. Idea. I mean, uh, the one guy with the horn had, had the spear, but you know. Listen. You're supposed to follow security yeah. measures. You're supposed to follow right. the directions of the people. Right. Who are yeah, absolutely. And that's what they were yeah. doing. They were following directions. And in the case of standing on the Capitol steps, um, I, I remember it well. That was long after every plane in the sky was grounded. It, it was long after, you know, uh, the, the things had calmed down. I don't think there was much of a threat at that point that uh, the people standing on those steps were still were still. I in think it was. I think it was impromptu, and I don't think they really knew that the danger had passed. We certainly didn't feel the danger had passed. I remember 
uh, in the days and weeks that followed, we felt that there could be more attacks coming from who knows where. So it was, it was one of the Congress's finest moments, and it wasn't because the coast was clear. They didn't know that at the time. It may have been well after the attacks, but uh, I'm not sure how, how many hours afterward, but it was a fine moment. Uh, but I get it. They, they, they all had to if, Listen, if, I'm a, if, if, I was, if I was one of those people inside the Capitol and I saw all these people brazen enough to bust into the Capitol, I can't be sure they're not going to take the next step and take me out, right? You can't be sure of that. You can't. Absolutely not. You know, no. so, so, so what were they supposed to do? Put on their big boy pants and say, all right, what are you guys doing? And stand there and then heaven knows what happens. Yeah. There's a, I forget his well, maybe name. Just one. Maybe just one of them could have stood, uh, stood up to the insurrectionists. Just one. There's a congressman, a former uh, 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 army ranger, who uh, said the only weapon he could find, and he was going to use it, was a fountain pen. Uh, and he was protecting, there's a, there a photograph of him consoling a, a, a female congresswoman. They were both sprawled on the floor as they were directed to do. And he was prepared to do the kinds of things you're talking about until they were ushered out. But that, but we're drifting. Let me, let me just try to summarize. Let me try to summarize. Uh, the difference I think we're having. I believe, and I think if we really allowed ourselves to pause and reflect on a plane or a bomb or something in the Capitol, taking out 75 or 80 congressmen, it would be unbelievably traumatic. And I believe the best thing we can do for the stability of our government and the faith we have in our government would be to fill those seats as quickly as possible, literally overnight. A, a, the people designated to be the replacements could be on their way to Washington the next day. Uh, and, and the contrast to that would be, we don't need to do it that fast. I'm trying to be fair here. You don't need to do it that fast because the Congress people who remain will rise to the occasion and conduct themselves in the, in the best interest of the American people. And, and, and they will in, in what they believe that to be. But to think that, um, uh, and again, we'll make it an example, just, if, if it ends up being a majority of Republicans in the Congress to think that they would continue to allow Nancy Pelosi to be Speaker of the House and, and advance an agenda that she would want to advance, uh, I, I think that might be a bit Pollyannish. And, you know, they might do that for a week or two. We're talking about months. Uh, Congresswoman Fudge's seat will be vacant somewhere between five and eight months. And she's just one example. So, Bill, um, folks should expect to hear that William Peza has organized a march on Washington to get this done? <laughs> nope, nope, <laughs> not at all. I, 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 I've sent this to, uh, I, I appreciate the fact that you guys are giving it exposure. Uh, I appreciate the fact that the paper gave it exposure. I, I've reached out to some other media outlets and, uh, and, and, and I've also said it to our Congressman. And, and if Congressman Fitzpatrick thinks it has some merit and, and people smarter than, than the three of us might look at it and see the glitches, the potential glitches, JD, and and say, well, maybe we could, we what, how can we accomplish the overall goal without getting into the weeds too much, you know? And uh, and maybe something will come of it. Well, Bill, listen, thank you, uh, thank you for sharing today. Thank you. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. You can view our podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including on Spotify, Apple, and Google.
and you can check out new episodes weekly of our on our websites. You can also read all our informative and award-winning content at theintel.com. That's Intel with two L's. CourierTimes.com and BurlingtonCountyTimes.com. Better yet, consider subscribing to support local journalism. The cost for new subscribers is just $1 for the first six months. You can't beat that. For all of us here, I'm Phil. I'm JD. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks for watching, but especially thanks for reading.